Top of the morning to you, or afternoon or evening, whenever you may be listening, my name is Scotty and welcome to Chip Time, Season 2, Episode 23, in the heart of cross-country season. It is here, it is fully here, especially this weekend that this episode is dropping. We have some monster meets going on. And go to thestridereport.com, check out everything we're writing, meet previews, meet reactions, so much to talk about. But with this weekend being the first of some more significantly competitive meets for this episode of the show, we are not going to be covering those Given just the timing, right, I mean, we could sit here, we could preview some of these, and then by the time most of you listen to the episode, the meets would have already concluded, the results would have been recorded, and and we really would be talking about nothing, frankly. So instead of that, we are going to shelve cross-country analysis for now, but like I said, check out all the things we're doing on the striderport.com huge preview article just went up for the Cowboy Jamboree at Oklahoma State University which will of course be hosting the national championships in November and there are a slew of talented teams going to Stillwater on Saturday both on the men's and women's side NAU BYU Stanford I mean that's enough to move the needle right there but That's going to be a big one, but like I said, we're not going to cover a preview today because of the short shelf life, but we will be covering cross-country in a very different way that I'm very fired up about, which is how to improve the visual presentation of cross-country to you, the people at home, because, you know, any one of us who's run cross-country We know how special of a sport it is, how unique it is, how different it is from other sports. But frankly, as a a fan, you have very few meets to watch at all that get camera crews to go. And of those meets, I genuinely believe they do a pretty poor job of coverage and some slight tweaks in a few areas And some significant tweaks in a few areas could really, really build the experience and grow the sport. So I will be going through my my plan. It is a four-point plan. Uh, It is bulletproof. And we're going to be running through how to save cross-country and grow the sport for the American people and around the globe, frankly. Uh, Why stop here among our borders? But before we dive into that, we have to start the show on a somber note, which is pouring one out for the OTC, the Oregon Track Club. Just to clarify, though, OTC Elite, Oregon Track Club Elite, the professional team that trains, well, one of the professional teams that trains in the state of Oregon, but I mean, this is the OG, right? This is the first one, and with Mark Rowland's crew breaking up and going different places, it's it's you know it's I think it's time for us to pay our respects and kind of talk through the history of what the OTC is, what they stand for, uh, what the history of OTC Elite was, and ultimately, you know, what went wrong. What, what ultimately led to this point here in 2022 where they are disbanding. And, you know, not going to go into the most depth here. I, I'd say we'll, we'll be taking a middle ground approach, going into a, a medium amount, because it's difficult to talk about the evolution of the OTC, especially over the last 20 years, without getting into some other Oregon training groups such as the Bowerman Track Club and the Nike Oregon Project and it it really would just be we'd be here forever if we also talked about the origins of those clubs and you know every single facet of this relationship for professional running 
in the state of Oregon. So instead, we're really just going to focus on OTC uh, in depth and and talk through the timeline. You know what what happened with this team, but you know before we we get to what happened, we've got to start with the origins. So back in 1958, the Oregon Track Club was founded by none other than Bill Bowerman. Big, big shocker there. Of course, Bowerman was coaching the men of Oregon in the university at the NCAA level. But the Oregon Track Club was really founded to integrate distance running into the community by supporting both local running in Eugene and having post-collegiate training groups for elite athletes. And the the thing that, that's very different back in, in the 50s and 60s compared to now, we touched on this a little bit in the Steve Prefontaine episode, is that professional running was not really a thing yet. That's why I use the word post-collegiate, because if you wanted to be, at least in America, on an Olympic team, you had to have amateur status. And so because of that, Bowerman sort of created this club, this Oregon track club, so that you could at least have access to facilities and and be able to be supported by a coaching staff and train with other athletes, even if you weren't getting a direct salary or other sort of compensation package from a shoe company. And oh, by the way, if you paid attention to the Chip Time Book Club, you would understand that in the year 1958, Nike was not around yet, Uh, not even as Blue Ribbon Sports. This was around the time Phil Knight was actually running for Bill Bowerman. So this OTC goes all the way back to back then when distance running was not really part of the community. You, you couldn't really make a living doing it post-collegiately. And Bowerman saw an opportunity for the greater Eugene community to, to really start something that nowhere else was doing, which was to link that local and post-collegiate um, aspect. So that's where the Oregon Track Club was born. But what does it do now? Because it still is around, even though the elite team is disbanding, it still is around, still very influential. So what do they do? They host the Prefontaine Classic. So the Pre-Classic is a Diamond League event that is taking place on the University of Oregon's facility at Hayward Field, but it is not a collegiate meet. So technically, it is not put on by the University of Oregon. It is put on by the Oregon Track Club, and it is uh, just using Hayward Field. In addition to that, the OTC advocates for the university to get to host the Olympic trials as well. So you see the trials have been there the last two years for the Olympics and the World Championships. And, you know, many, many years as we look back in time, Old Hayward was hosting it. That is the OTC advocating for their space to be used, which is a win for them because it brings people in to Eugene, just like we had for the World Championships. OTC was big in making that happen as well. And so that's another goal of theirs. And then another thing they do is they maintain Prefontaine's trail in the Eugene to Springfield stretch of Oregon. So if you listened earlier in this season, Michael and I talked about getting to run on Prefontaine's trail in Eugene. And it is a well-manicured trail. I mean, really, really well-manicured. There's there's not uproots and stuff that you're tripping over it is like so, so well maintained, but it's also a soft, lively surface that is like literally perfect to be out on a run for. And it's not like that because of 
just nature, right? It is taken care of, it is well manicured, and that is something that the Oregon Track Club is is initiating, is taking the lead on, is putting in the funding to make sure that that space gets uh, gets maintained. And, you know, perfect timing here because it'll be, it's the day I'm recording, but the, the day before you, the listener, are hearing this episode, uh, September 23rd, they are actually dedicating a stretch of Priest Trail to Bill Dellinger, which is, of course, very well-deserved. Um, as I sit here today, we just had the Bill Dellinger Invitational, and it, it's it's so great how they preserve the history of distance running and and make sure to pay homage here in the modern era. And you see how it all is linked. Hayward Field, Bill Bowerman founding the OTC. Bill Dellinger has an invitational named after him and is getting a stretch of Pree's Trail. And of course, the trail itself honoring Steve Prefontaine. The OTC does a great job of of really keeping these legends alive in our running community. So as we kind of shift gears a bit to the professional side, OTC Elite, where were the highs? Where where was the downfall and and why why are they disbanding? Because the OTC itself is very healthy. It's not going anywhere, but the elite group what happened there? Well, as far as the elite group goes, of course, it is a Nike group. Shocker. It only made sense with it being right there in the heart of Eugene. And I will say, at their peak, the OTC was arguably the best distance training group in the country. And frankly, I don't even think it's an argument. If you look at the early 2000s, it was headed up by Vin Lanana, who now is the director of cross country and track and field at the University of Virginia, but he was holding it down for the OTC Elite. And, you know, he's a big Nike guy, very instrumental in bringing the world championships to Eugene in, in 2022. Um, but when he was there, I mean, you look at some of the athletes that were running for the OTC Elite. Matt Tegenkamp, U.S. record holder in the two-mile. Chris Selinski, former U.S. record holder in the 10K. Evan Jager, still the U.S. record holder in the steeplechase. You had guys who were setting American records, winning U.S. titles, even meddling on the world stage. I mean, we, we look at Evan Jager. I mean, these were the best American professional runners. And it was kind of a no-brainer. If you were that national champion in the NCAA, you, you were going to get that Nike sponsorship, you're going to OTC Elite. Like, it was a no-brainer. There, there wasn't much competition at that point. If you're more of that B-tier runner who's still very, very good and, and pursuing post-collegiate running, you might stay with your college coach, but as far as a team atmosphere, you're going to OTC Elite. And as we transitioned from the, the late 2000s and, and into the 2010s, OTC Elite was still very strong. I mean, at this point, you had Andrew Weeding, right out of uh, his Oregon career going pro there. You had Nick Simmons coming in, and you know he eventually was a multi-time U.S. champ and Olympian in his own right. And, of course, Ashton Eaton, the decathlete, who for the longest time I think was, was the world record holder. I mean, okay, I say for the longest time. It, it stood for a couple years, um, and maybe it still does. I could be wrong on that, but... I feel like somebody broke his record. Shows what I know about the decathlon, but the point is the heavy hitters were still with OTC Elite. And at this point, 
maybe not as many U.S. records on the distance side, but they were still largely the top dogs on the U.S. circuit. But it was around this time that there started to be a changing of the guard. And and like I said at the beginning, we're not going to go through all the details as much as this story could really blow up. But, But what happened was there were two teams that started to rise to prominence at this time. And I'll share a little bit of the story. The Nike Oregon Project with Alberto Salazar and the Bowerman Track Club with Jerry Schumacher. The thing that was interesting here is that what happened in a little bit before 2010, late 2000s, the Oregon Project starts doing a more experimental approach to an elite training group where they're not they're not really just bringing in national champions from the NCAA like OTC Elite was. They're starting to go for like the most talented high school runners and have Alberto start coaching them at an earlier age. And of course, Galen Rupp was his golden boy who he started training before he went to Oregon and then picked it back up after he graduated from Oregon. And their success, as we know, was massive. But the big plot point, which was absolutely crazy, was in the early days of the Nike Oregon Project, Alberto Salazar had a bad heart attack. And in that time... He thankfully, you know, he was able to make it through and and knew that he was going to live, but he did not know if he would be able to continue coaching elite athletes at an Olympic level. And so what he did sort of unofficially was he named a a successor and he said, if I have to retire from coaching, I want Jerry Schumacher to take over the the Nike Oregon project. Jerry was at Wisconsin. They won a cross country national title. They were runners up a couple of years as well. Phenomenally successful. And some of the athletes I named um, were, were under Jerry Selinski and, and Tegan camp, just to name a few. And so you knew he had the chops to take it over if it came to that. But what happened was Alberto recovered so well that he took back over his Nike Oregon project. And recently on this show, we covered the 2012 Olympics where his boys Mo Farah and Galen Rupp went gold and silver in the Olympics. And so there was no reason he was going to step away from that. He's training the best athletes in the world. And, you know, I think it just became too real for Jerry. He, he got that, uh, that desire to move on to professional coaching. And so that is when he took over the Bowerman Track Club, which had been established but really, really had not been uh, on that same tier as the NOP or the OTC. And so as we get closer to now, present day, the 2010 decade continues. Alberto and and the Nike Oregon Project disband in 2019 with allegations, and, and we could spend a whole episode on that. But in this time, the Bowerman Track Club begins to be that Nike hub for those NCAA champs to go to. It's no longer the OTC elite because some of Jerry's guys are crushing it out there. You got Mo Ahmed and Shalane Flanagan and Jordan Hesay and you know a, a lot of the the top tier American runners are with Bowerman now and they want to train with each other. And OTC elite, I mean I don't want to like call out Mark Rowland but after Vin Lanano left, they did not have the same pattern of success that they had when he was there. And so frankly, OTC Elite kind of became a destination of like 
B tier runners, which was like legit runner, very good in college, probably an all American, good enough to get a Nike sponsorship, but not on that American champ level, not on that global medalist level. And I could be wrong on this, but the last OTC elite member on the distance side to make a U.S. team that I can remember was Hannah Green in the 2019 U.S. trials getting second place in the 800. That's the last one I remember. And frankly, her, her career has somewhat plateaued in the years following that. She's been competitive. She's made U.S. finals, but hasn't really been on that that podium level anymore. And unfortunately, the the rest of the team is, is sort of followed suit. And when you're not bringing in these, these A-tier recruits for your professional team, and when the current members of the team are not having a ton of success and they're aging, it's pretty quick for the bottom to fall out under a group like that. And, and unfortunately, that's, that's kind of what we saw here. And although you could sort of see the writing on the wall between the 2012 Olympics and the 2016 Olympics, they took a step back and then another step back the, the couple years following that. And then here we are now. But it's just crazy to think that just about 10, 12 years ago, I mean, OTC Elite was by far the best professional training group in the entire United States. And here we are, it just got to a point where their numbers were low, their results were not really anything that special. And so the team has dissolved with a few athletes following Mark Rowland to Canada, um, and then a few others just going different routes. Probably the biggest change being Ben Blankenship, transitioning to the marathon from the 1500 meters to the marathon and he is being coached by Ryan Hall who is the American record holder in the marathon and whose wife Sarah is I believe the second fastest American woman um, of all time in the marathon so crazy things happening hate to say it's it's not shocking but like I said over the years, if you don't have sustained success and, and you're not bringing in top-end talent and the talent is going elsewhere for your own shoe company, that is kind of just what happens. But make no mistake, the, the peak years for OTC were really, really special. And so much so that there is there's one particular race uh, you probably can already guess it, that to me stands above the rest for OTC just just flexing on everybody else in America. Um, I, I believe it was in 2010. I could be wrong. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm just giving it away here. But I think we're going to need to do a Chip Time Classic of said race because it was one of the craziest things that has ever happened. I mean, not only that, but it would never happen today. And I'm, I'm already getting excited about it, but we will have to do uh, a Chip Time Classic, a full race analysis and recap of a classic race, um, that particular one, in the near future, whether it is next episode or a couple more to follow, we're, we're going to make that happen. So as, as paying tribute to the OTC, we got to make that happen. And uh, one particular running friend of mine who, who was very instrumental in me getting into this sport when, when I was a teenager, um, I know it's his favorite race of all time. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll be able to bring him in the studio and, and cover it together. But that is all we have on the OTC. Just wanted to, you know, download some thoughts because it is a big Nike team 
that we're losing. And although the, the Oregon Track Club itself will continue uh, doing what they're doing, keeping the trail maintained, trying to get events at Hayward Field, uh, it, it is a little bit sad to, to see OTC Elite go because, man, back in the day, you saw those green singlets with the pine tree on them, and, I mean, that's Omar coming. That's, that's American record challenging territory there. And uh, it's just different now. It's, it's different, uh, but hey, the times they are a-changing. So we're going to put a pin in that. It's time to look to the future. It is time to look at how we can improve and grow the sport of cross-country. I will be presenting my four-point plan. But first, let's get a quick break and a word from our sponsors. This episode of Chip Time is sponsored by The Amino Company. Physical and mental fatigue is often the biggest barrier to success in any activity involving strength, endurance, and mental focus. Achieving your body's peak muscle response is crucial for maximum athletic performance. The Amino Company offers a 100% science-backed essential amino acid formula called Perform. It helps you build endurance and prepares you for harder training sessions, runs, and workouts. This is especially crucial when training for your favorite race event. Perform has been shown to improve muscle performance, reduce fatigue, and increase the benefits from workouts. It's keto-friendly, soy-free, vegan, gluten-free, and GMO-free. Perform is formulated to minimize muscle breakdown during exercise and maximize muscle growth after exercise. You can check out all their science by visiting aminoco.com slash chip time. Once again, that is aminoco.com slash chip time. Now, back to the show. All right, people, it is that time. It is time to save the sport of cross-country. Like I said at the very top of the show, anyone who's run cross-country, you know there there's magic in the air. There's something so different about it. The fact that when you are on the bus going to a cross-country meet, you don't even know the environment you're competing in yet. Every course is different. And I don't really know any other sports like that. They have defined fields or defined you know, dimensions and, and measurements. But in cross country, it is this, it is very much competition in its most primitive form, which is just, here's a big field, go run in it, and you're going to have to just make adjustments on the fly and, and moves on the fly and, and just see how your body reacts to it, frankly. And, you know, as much as road racing is like that, too, there's just something special about the grass. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but my point is for how special this sport is, why is it so impossible to watch on TV. And I'm talking about myself too, right? Like I'm in this viewing experience just as much as you guys are if, if you have runner space or flow track and it's it's not the most digestible of content. And so I decided to really just slow down, take my time with this and think, what would I want to see and want to hear as someone who is a diehard fan of the sport. And additionally, could we make that uh, presented in a way that also caters to the casual fan? Because that's the goal here, right? The goal is to grow the sport in a way that someone could watch it who doesn't even know any of these athletes coming in. But at the same time, we don't want to be mansplaining to our audience who does know these athletes 
and, and really wants a deeper analysis about what we are watching take place on the grass. So what I've done here is, is really just, just come up with a four-point plan, four different pillars to build upon that, that hopefully would make the viewing experience better. But before I dive in, I just want to give a brief kind of overview of what it's like right now, because I am sure um, if you're listening to this and you've never watched a cross-country meet on TV, you're not alone, all right? And I don't even mean that as a call-out. Like, they're not very easy to find. There is only typically like one on ESPN per year being the national championship, and then ACC Network covers the ACC championships, and the SEC Network covers the SEC championships. But besides those three, you've got to go to a streaming service or there is no coverage. And and what just floors me every year is the fact that the regional championships, after conference, you've got regionals before the national meet, Regional championships, which have national meet implications on the line, they don't stream them like anywhere. And you have to just pull up the results page. And and that really just floors me that, you know, ESPN Plus is covering Division Three basketball games, but not these high-level meets. So I'm going to try not to go on any tangents like that. Uh, for the rest of this, I want to be polished, want to really drive home the points. But in summary, what do you get from a current broadcast of a cross country meet? Well, I have seen them from three different media outlets the ESPN family of networks, Runner Space Plus, and Flow Track. And, and typically, all three are, are one in the same. Um, for for the coverage. What you get at first is sort of a, a pre-meet show where for about 10 or 15 minutes, they will show you the course. They won't really provide much analysis on it, but they'll just kind of say, hey, this is what the course looks like. And it'll be some, you know, some oblong shape. Um, they will then tell you the top, like, probably three people who are racing, and they, they won't really have any sort of analysis of what type of runner it is. They'll just say, hey, this person is the highest finisher from last year's national meet, right? Like, it's literally as surface level as it could be. And once they do that, the meet starts and the entire race, pretty much across all platforms, is just a camera on the front runner. And if it's a pack, you know, the camera's on the front pack, but the golf cart that leads through the course that the runners are following typically does have a camera person on it. And for, like I said, for any cross-country meet on TV, it's just a view from the front. That's that's what you watch the whole time. And you've got typically a, a play-by-play type person and a more color commentator as well. And I'll shout out the runner space team because my guy Paul Swangard is the play-by-play guy, right? And he's, and he's the best in the business. We know that. But that's pretty much your experience for 25 to 30 minutes on on the men's side and, you know, about 20 minutes on the women's side is just that view with some little bits and pieces of commentary throughout. The race will finish. You will see a bunch of people running through the line and... You don't really know who's who. You you don't, I mean, besides the winner, you just see people finishing. And then perhaps at the end, the individual results will come up on screen. The team results will come up on screen. 
And then if you're lucky, you will get uh, brief interviews with the winner of the men's race and the winner of the women's race. And the way I would grade it right now is probably like a C plus. Um, I, I definitely would not give it like a failing grade because they do tell you some of the athletes. They do provide some analysis during the race and you do get a little bit of interaction with the athletes after the race. And so, well, I don't want to act like we're going from ground zero here. I just have to say it's it's not a very exciting thing to consume as a fan. And, and here's where I'm going to start making my pitch because I, I, I sat back and I said, gosh darn it. Visually, visually, when, when you watch distance running in general, it doesn't look like the athletes are moving very fast. Like just the way it looks on screen, it just it doesn't really look like they're moving that fast. And so I sat back and I said, how can we change the broadcast? And I'm not talking about speeding up the video or anything, but how can we change up the experience to make it an action-packed entertainment show for the fans. I have some ideas. Let's get into them. Number one is the pre-meet show. I do think that's a good idea, but we got to spice this up quite a bit. And my first idea here is that we bring in two ex-athletes, okay? So here's how it's going to be. We got a panel of four, we got me, we got Paul Swangard, and then we got two ex-athletes. And I don't think that would be very hard to pull off. You know why? Because there is no professional cross-country in the United States. You're either running on the track circuit or you're running in the road races. And many of these professional athletes, they adored their time in cross country and they miss it. And I think they would be chomping at the bit to hop on a set and talk about the current landscape. And let's say it's the Nutty Comb Invitational in Wisconsin. And we bring on Morgan McDonald and Alicia Monson, some Wisconsin alumni who were national champions. And they know the course better than anyone. They would be excited to talk about it because they, I'm sure, miss cross country. I've definitely heard Morgan on the coffee club say that he misses cross country. And so when when you're previewing the course, you're getting analysis from the people who have competed there. And so it goes beyond just, oh, there, there's a hill here or it's, you know, two 3K loops and a 2K loop. Like they're telling you, this is when moves are made. This is when I break out from the pack. This is when I really put the hammer down on the pace. And so it goes beyond just reminiscing on their own experience, but also it gives you, the fan, something to look for. You feel like you're there. You feel like you understand more of what is about to happen versus just people running in a mass of, you know, of bodies, <laughs> essentially. So I think bringing them in would be huge. And, and it could be, there are so many athletes to choose from that I really think it would be hard to not find someone available to, to cover it. So, you know, besides fall marathoners, there would be a lot of people who would love to cover that, I'm sure. So in addition to the course, I want to cover in the pre-meet show the top three men and the top three women. And, and maybe each person on the panel picks a sleeper as well. But it, I, I would want it to go beyond just, hey, this person has had good results in the past. I would require, the and I sound like such a dictator here, but 
maybe I'm not even up there, but I'm just the director of, of operations. But what I would want is for people to do some homework. How, where has this person been successful? How have they been running lately? What can we expect from them? What's kind of a fun fact for them that, that we can just enjoy and hold on to and laugh about? And, and frankly, you know, who, who's their rival in this race? Who are they going up against? And make it more than just, hey, these are, these are some fast runners. Let's get deeper there. A sleeper athlete would be fun as well. Because it's not going to be someone who you would expect to be in the front of the pack, but someone who you feel like is ready to pop off. Teams as well, I think covering the top three teams on the men's and women's side would be important. It shows the casual fan when they see singlets on the screen. These are the teams that we're expecting to be in the front. And, you know, if it's one we didn't mention, then then it's it's a team that's sort of making a resurgence like we saw with the trio from UCLA and the Dellinger invite earlier today. Sean Brosnan had those boys up there. It was it was cool to see right up there with the Oregon Ducks and the Portland Pilots. And after you kind of go through this preview stage, I would want the the panel to make some picks. I mean, it, it's just, it just makes it more fun to watch any sporting event when you have made a pick for who you think is going to win. It, it's just more fun. It just frankly is more fun. So it'd be cool to see the panel do that, and it just makes the race more, more exciting as the events unfold to see how close things end up being compared to what the preview is. So my goal with that first pillar of changing the sport is to make it simple enough for new fans where we're not talking about anything crazy, but we are giving enough information to excite the current fans and to provide insight for the casual fans as to what is going to transpire on the grass. Number two is during the race. Okay, this needs to change quite a bit in in my opinion. Currently what you have is 20 to 30 minutes of uninterrupted coverage, which it should be. I'm not saying to interrupt it, but it's just the camera on the front of the pack the whole time. And so what I would want to have is you have your primary play-by-play and color commentator. But in addition to that, I would assign four to five individuals who are color commentators for the action in the middle of the race. Because this is cross-country, where five runners are scored to compile your full team's score. And the way it's on TV right now is, we'll use the Dellinger example from today. You see UCLA with three guys in the top 10. I think it was something around there. And you're thinking, dang, they crushed it. They were probably second to Oregon. But then you see the score, and they finish behind Portland. And you're like, well, what happened? They, they had guys up there. And it's because they didn't really explain what was happening in the middle of the race. And so what I would want, similar to a Formula One experience where they're throwing it to the pits and they've got other people covering the middle of the race, people getting in the points in the top 10, I want to be able to throw it to my color analyst who's covering the Notre Dame women. And they can say, yep, we knew this runner We'll say Katie Thronson transferred from Tennessee. We know she is the X factor to be the Notre Dame's third scorer after Olivia Markovic and Maddie Denner, and she's holding it in the top 25. This is huge for the Irish. This is going to be a big boost for their team score. They're exceeding expectations today. So we'll see in, in the last two kilometers of this race if they'll be able to upset Colorado. Boom. It's like a 30-second segment. 
you're covering it in real time, and it gives the audience something else to pay attention to besides just the fact that, oh, look, um, Taylor Rowe is still winning the race. Caitlin Tuohy is still winning the race. Let's get some action because some of these invitationals have over 250 runners. And so to only really be talking about the front three or five is missing the essence of what makes this sport so cool. So in addition to that, this is a part that my my experience, my skills are very limited in, but I believe it's possible. In addition to the front camera on the golf cart that's covering the lead runner, I am wondering if there would be a way for us to get some drone cameras covering certain zones. So I'm not saying we would have a drone flying the entire length of the course, and I'm not saying we would have drones low enough that it would be around fans and around runners, but I'm curious if you got a couple people to operate drones if you could go to different angles where you've got the front runner, but then you get some of the action in the middle on on film. And as a backup to this, I've seen this done. You pay a bunch of volunteer, you get a bunch of volunteers to use stationary cameras at certain twists and turns on the course. And so you're able to go to different angles and, and see the all of the action unfolding in addition to just the front. I think that would be huge. And the last piece that I think would make it a really entertaining viewing experience is in addition to those uh, field reporters, like I said, who are, who are covering the action in the middle, I think if we were able to sprinkle in two or three little fun, um, I would say side videos where the analyst is interviewing the athlete the day before, and we do a side-by-side where let's say we're, we're talking about the Villanova women. And, and the, the story that the analyst is talking about is that Lydia Oliver, 2019 All-American, we're wondering if she's going to be able to get back to that form. And she's having a great race. We're 3K into it. She's in the top 15. She's competing. This is huge for Gina Procaccio's team. And you know what? I was able to catch up with Olivia for, for 45 seconds yesterday and let's take a listen into her preparation going into this race. Boom. You split the screen. You've got the race on uh, on your left side of your screen. You've got the drone coverage following Lydia Oliver in real time. And then on the right side, you've got this just 45-second quick interview. Maybe it's shot on an iPhone or something, but it's it's just joking around with her hearing about her race prep and and hearing about just her thoughts um, regarding the season as a whole. It's short and sweet. It's only about a minute or so. I'm only thinking about sprinkling in two or three of these the whole time. But if we look at this holistically for the bulk of the race, what you're getting is coverage of the front and the leaders, you're getting coverage of the team score. You're getting to know more of the athletes and, and how they're performing besides just the front runners. And you're also getting the personal touch, which not only gives you the personal touch, but also I think that split screen will, in our dumb human brains, make us think that we're, we're getting to watch more exciting, more quickly developing action than the way it currently looks, where it looks like runners going kind of slowly through this grass course. So that's a little mind game there. That's a little trick. But I think if we're able to sprinkle that in maybe maybe twice on the women's race and three times on the men's race, where you go split screen, 
And in addition to that, you have a couple more check-ins with these color analysts who are covering the action in the middle. It's going to make for a 20 to 30 minute uh, presentation that feels like it goes by way quicker than it is right now. Right now, very dragged out, very, are we on the last kilometer yet? And instead, you're going to be like, whoa, like cross country is sick. Like there is, there is action developing every kilometer and every kilometer is only, you know, two and a half to to three ish minutes, two, two and a half to three and a half minutes, uh, depending on men's or women's side. And so, I mean, I, I think that would make it just so much more lively as a viewer. In addition to this, gosh darn it, I'm going long here. So I'm going to try and wrap it up here uh, a little quicker with the last couple points. Uh, The third one is the finish of the race. We need commentators in place who understand the results in real time. So from a broadcast standpoint, it's fine how it is right now. Just park a camera on the, the final stretch. You see everyone finishing. But as official results come in, and we'll use last year's national meet as an example, the Notre Dame women finished fifth place and had no business finishing that high. Nobody expected it. I think they finished fifth in the ACC that year. And if you watched the broadcast, all you knew is that NC State crushed it and won the title, which of course should be the headline. But I mean, we need to get some of these other storylines out there And it really is as simple as having people do the commentary who who know how these teams have been performing and know when the upsets are happening. But I hate to say it, as harsh as this sounds, currently the people doing most of the commentary, at least on the ESPN side, are people who just read what the rankings are. We need the people who write the rankings to be doing the commentary and giving the people in real time what the upsets are. I mean, we'll go back to Formula One for a second. If uh, Max Verstappen wins a race, which is very common, right? But then Kevin Magnuson gets second place. In the current cross-country landscape, it would be like you never knew that was a big deal. You would just be like, oh, Verstappen won. I've heard of him. But they would n- they never cover anything after that. We got to step that up big time. And then the last thing I think would be after the race, you revisit the predictions you made with your panel. You bring back on the ex-athletes. You get their reactions. And, and you kind of cover like, hey, when did you guys think the, the biggest move was made from a team perspective, maybe it's the fifth runner moving up or another team's fifth runner dropping off. That was a big swing that we weren't able to see during the broadcast. And so you're getting other angles, other storylines, just so much more to the depth of the experience. And, you know, maybe you end it with the the interviews like they currently do on, on runner space, at least. I think that's great to hear from the the current athletes themselves, but the goals here with the full experience is that the fans get to know the big names and some sleepers going into the meet. The race itself is high energy, fascinating as it develops. You aren't just waiting for the finish. You're getting all the action during the race. You're hearing about how these athletes are training who's the X factor on their team. And and this is not impossible. Like there are people that know this level of cross country. I'm part of the stride report team. And like, I am the lower tier, believe me, of uh, analyst knowledge for sure. Like we have some people that would do a phenomenal job, but unfortunately the resources are are what it takes to to pull off some major changes like that. But 
the other two takeaways with, with my plan are that at the finish line, you're hearing the headlines in real time. You're, you're really learning how significant the fourth and fifth runners can be for a team's result, which you, you probably wouldn't inherently understand from just watching it. But if you have that commentary and they're really breaking down, okay, this, this is the last runner for NAU, they've secured the championship. Things like that to just let the audience know what is going on and, and when this is solidified. And then the very last part, the after race, revisiting the predictions, everyone kind of exhales, the race is over, you revisit the big storylines, you get a word from the athletes, and then maybe you just mention what what's coming up, you know, what meets are in the pipeline. And so kind of wrapping it up here, I know there is no perfect formula, right? Many people are are not going to want to tune in to cross country regardless. And so my goal, if I was given emergency powers to the chancellor on this one, is really just to provide a better experience for the current fans. Because right now, it's it's just very basic. There isn't much ingenuity. And, and the things I mentioned, as frantically as I mentioned them, and I know that may have been hard to follow, but I certainly have a, a very vivid um, vision in my head of what that would all look like, is the fact that there are some small changes that could be made to make a big difference in the viewing experience. And and I would just love to see some network or some streaming service invest in that. Don't try to take what baseball does with pregame show, game in a, a fixed camera angle, and then postgame show, and try to put a put a square peg in a round hole uh, into cross country. Let's do something completely different. Because guess what? I'm going to whisper this. No one's watching them anyways. <laughs> no one's watching these meets anyways. So let's do something crazy. Let's try it. Let's get five field analysts in there. Let's put the clips in during the race while keeping a camera on the main race. Let's have ex-athletes in the pregame and postgame analysis. Let's talk about the course. Let's talk about the teams. Let's talk about the X factors and, and what makes the lineups thrive and what makes some lineups fade in big races. And, and let's give this sport the, the recognition and just level of attention that it deserves. I feel like I'm running for some sort of office right now, but if there is some sort of way to make these things happen, I would love to do it. But as we wrap up our show here, the first thing I must say is, I say it every time, but if you would like to contact the show, hit us up, chiptimepod at gmail.com, chiptimepod at gmail.com. I would love some feedback on this. So if, if this maybe brought up an idea in your head or you've had some already, I really think there, there is potential here. And, be, you know, now that I'm boys with Paul Swangard from, from kicking it at the Wild Duck, drinking Michelobes, I mean, hey, I could probably pitch some of this stuff and, and we'll see where it goes. Um, besides that, I want to thank the Amino Company for sponsoring this episode and extending our partnership. We should have some fresh ad reads in the future. And again, just want to thank them for their support. Their product was instrumental in me securing a victory at the Draw Bucket 5K last week. And I hope to defend my Coffee Classic title this upcoming weekend. So shout out to them for the great product. And remember, people, if you do not like the results, if you're not satisfied 
There's a 60-day money-back guarantee. What are you waiting for? Aminoco.com slash chip time. Also, if you enjoyed today's show, please leave a five-star rating in Apple or Spotify. That five-star button does need your touch. And if you'd like to join the Chip Time Strava group, all you need to do is follow me on Strava. So thanks for listening. Keep working hard. And we'll see you next time.